Welcome to the Room of Lives. I'm your host, Neil. We're talking to my friend, Benam, who is a classical violinist and music producer. In this episode, Benam recounts how he became trapped in shame and despair in the world of highly competitive classical music, which has little room for creativity and failure. He then discovered the ideas of Brene Brown, researcher on shame and vulnerability, on moving gracefully into uncertainty, and in the end, he left his classical music career. We then discuss spontaneous creativity, flow states, and the sense of self and ego, and how I made some uninhibited art when I took LSD for the first time. Yeah, you wanted to talk about craft versus creativity. Yeah, I guess we have touched upon it a little bit already. Yeah, no, and that that'll that that's and so yeah, that's a great um, that that takes us back to sort of when I started auditing that music theory course. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, and and then 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 I felt like I was I was really I had um, a technique that wasn't necessarily my own. I hadn't discovered it. And that yeah. to me was kind of like the sad part because that to me is what's fun is, is coming up with stuff, yeah. you know, and, and, and kind of creating rules of logic that hold yeah. and that can like help you make something. So I was like, yeah, this music theory stuff works. It's good enough. Um, yeah. And and so... Yeah, some of your honey almond butter. Yes. By the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've got me addicted. Anyway. <laughs> the first time I ate this, I was like, what is this? And it's just... First world, just kind of coming up with variations on. Well, can I have a little bit more? <laughs> mm. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, you're talking about. Yeah, when you were taking this, um, auditing this course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I did feel like it, it provided me with with a technique. It, 
tools, um, a bit of craftsmanship to, to be able to hone in on, on the sounds that I was looking for and bridge together the sounds that I already had mm. um, in a way that would conventionally sound normal. Yeah. Right? Um, and, and so it kind of, it was, it was almost like I, I gave up on reinventing the wheel. I was like, you know, I just, I want to get from A to B. Yeah. Sooner rather than later. Yeah. Um, I think, I think the, maybe the bigger thing about craft versus creativity. Yeah, this, this reminds me of, this is the second time that I'm going to be mentioning Richard Feynman, not on the podcast, but this evening. Yeah. Because we were talking about education earlier. And so earlier you were talking about how you would, uh, suppose you had to teach violin to a room full of people. Uh, you would tell them, uh, just forget everything. We're going to be talking about this thing in terms of what we do with our hands for the next three hours. And any time that we refer to this later, just think of this first-person experience that you had. Mm-hmm. And I told you how uh, Feynman had a teaching style similar to that, that he would start from first principles and then always refer back to that. Um, so this this is, you were talking about, you know, sort of struggling with notation and deciding at some point you're just going to go with the get with the program. Um, Feynman invented some of his own notation for like he used to just he, work out he, physics and math. He did the, um, the Feynman. That was much later. The Feynman diagram was notation for stuff for which notation did not exist. <laughs> but he when he was in high school or something like that, he used to borrow these really hard like books on calculus and stuff from the library. Um, and he used to tell them that it's for his dad. Um, and then I guess he worked on proofs and stuff. A lot of these things that he thought he was deriving for the first time turned out that other people had already done it, but he invented his own notation. And sometimes later on when he would, uh, show other people math, he would mistakenly write his own notation and people were like, what is that? <laughs> like, Oh, that's just DX DT, except DX DT is kind of a bad notation because you feel like you can cross out the D's and so this is what I know. Okay, so, so yeah so that's uh, yeah there's a certain I guess the the unifying thread that I can sense here is just this uh, uh, creativity it's just this I'm just gonna fucking create this shit <laughs> yeah well, this is okay so this is something that I've been thinking about recently is I'm like yeah. you just read all these articles about people like how do I be more creative in this and yeah. more creative in that and I'm like and this summer, this summer has been like a real sort of like back to basics for me because I, I decided I want to try and like develop my skills writing like modern music, pop music. Yeah. Um, and, and I was like, I don't know where to start. Yeah. It doesn't matter. You just start doing it. That's like, like yeah. being creative means creating. That's all yeah. that means. Yeah. So I was like, every day, I, like, I'm just going to write a new song. It's going to be garbage. And the next day, it's going to be better. Like, and yeah. that, that was like, like, I was, it's really easy for, I mean, for me, and I think for most people to get caught up on like, how am I going to do this right the first time? Yeah. I mean, you know, failure is just generally like an uh, unpleasant thing and, and not really like lauded. But but when yeah. when you put it in the, the uh, context of being a, like like what it was with Legos for me, this this never-ending cycle, this process, there was no failure. It was just <laughs> I... You must, be, you must be really good at picking up girls. Why? <laughs> this whole... Like if you think back on all this, like, it's just this new thing, and I don't know, but just like lunge into it. There is no such thing as failure. Like it just <laughs> sounds like a 
Yeah. Um, You'll be good at like jumping into things where the waters are unknown and just like learning to swim. Uh, yeah. But would you consider others. yourself uh, as being gifted at picking? I don't think I've ever picked up a crow in my life. Okay. Like but like at least breaking the ice, like talking to. Um, I mean, like, this is a it. serious question. Okay, I'm actually okay, trying yeah. to um, understand if this is something about just general creativity or just about uh, music. So, uh, wow, this is this is. I'm accessing a totally different part of my brain right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't. I. I don't like. I don't stress out about talking to girls. I don't like. Like, like if it, it was a stranger and you met at a party, or you didn't even meet. Like you just want to go and talk to them because you like them. Look like you just like looking at them from. You don't know anything about them. Um, Do you find yourself relatively comfortable doing that? I, I find myself comfortable doing that. I am. Um, there, yeah. there. So, so here's here's where I think. My and I've actually witnessed it some extent so okay like, yeah you okay. can you can yeah. either corroborate or deny i don't mind talking to them because because to me like like um in frame frame the context of like i just want to go talk to this person yeah. um yeah zero i mean like what are they you know like that, that's yeah i don't know i'm not talking about what the situation when all they want to do is talk to them okay no <laughs> so this is actually the only way i know how to do it i just always tell myself that's the situation and if something else happens great if not great it's good um, that's good yeah because yeah. yeah, to me it's like I, I'm probably actually going to miss something interesting if all I want is like to get in their pants like, yeah, yeah, yeah you know I mean yeah. and that's maybe actually honestly something I'd like to get better at is like at least being forthcoming about that if that's true yeah. like you know like I don't want to like walk and be like oh and you know yeah. never going to tell you but I'd love yeah. to like you know go on a date yeah. um, but that's not really something I'm, I'm looking for that often so much as like first I want to know like do I like talking to this person because yeah. chances are if, okay and you don't feel like too nervous getting into that situation most times, you would say. Okay, cool. Well, maybe there's um, there's some um, central. Uh, I mean, we'll come to this later. Sure. But, you, but yeah. you you sent me this TED talk video about creativity, vulnerability, yeah. and so on, and mm-hmm. it may apply, I guess, widely across music as well as social skills and whatnot. Anything that needs creativity and needs you to feel. I th- oh, man. necessitates vulnerability. Well, okay, that's can can we can we drop right into that now? Um, I guess we can. I just want to make sure that we are not, um, we are not not finishing. Okay. Uh, some so, what we were talking about earlier was craft versus creativity in the context of auditing this class, and mm-hmm. I just want to make sure that we didn't leave anything out. There. <laughs> the end of my Facebook time. Okay, uh, didn't leave anything out as far as that. Um, not that much. Uh, I think craft versus creativity, I think is more relevant to, um, my violin playing. Yeah. Um, because I actually, I, I, I had this same wall that I hit, um, Mm. with, with the self-made technique versus the standard technique in terms of playing the instrument. Um, I, I had developed my own language of getting around the fingerboard of how I use my bow to some extent. Mm. Um, partly because because I, I was because of the way I was practicing. My process was finding new sounds. That's that's what I was doing more often than I was playing scales growing up is I was I was making my own music. Yeah. And so so the technique evolved to facilitate that. Um, and it, it evolved to highlight the sounds that I like, mitigate the sounds that I didn't like. And, and, and the, this palette of sounds, again, really just didn't have much to do at all with conventional style of good violin playing. Yeah. Like there were, there were some things 
that great violinist did that I liked. There's other times I was like, this person sounds like garbage, even though mm-hmm. they were like undeniably way better than I was. Um, yep. Still recording, still recording. Yeah. Um, so, so but yeah, so after a certain point, because um, I was kind of just like making this up as I was going and didn't know, you know, what's 10 steps down the road in terms of things that are going to be technically difficult mm-hmm. and, and what is going to help yeah. now then versus yeah. what's going to get in the way then yeah. that I'm doing now. And so that, that, that is when I think I, I began to appreciate trying, trying to make that transition uh, of being able to like, not only, not just play the stuff that I want to play because I've learned how to do it, mm-hmm. but play all the stuff yeah. um, at a really high technical level. Um, that was just, it was like starting over. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was like pressing the reset button. When you wrote down music for the orchestra, did you also write the bit for the piano? Um, yeah, I had a piano reduction. Um, so, yeah. so when I when I when I wrote for, um, well, yes and no. When I wrote my violin concerto, I had started it when I was like again like thirteen. So it started out as a violin with piano yeah. accompaniment. Um, so I had both the piano part and the full orchestration. Mm-hmm. About halfway through, it started. It flipped to where I was writing for orchestra first, and then retroactively figuring out how I was going to fit on the piano. I see. Um, because I needed pianist to be able to play it because that's how you audition and i was going to play it but with the orchestral pieces that i started writing independently of that i never had a piano reduction i see Um, when you were writing the piano just like you said before that uh composers who are usually pianists have sometimes a hard time and they assign unfair parts or ill-sounding parts to the other uh instruments would you say that you had the the opposite i had the exact same problem Yeah, yeah where where my my writing um was not idiomatic as I would yeah. repeatedly find out after I showed my music to, to pianists. Yeah. Um, and so, so I, <laughs> after it just, uh, you just, it just didn't flow very well. Yeah. Or, yeah. Well, cause it, it, it I wasn't, um, it was coming out of my head, not my hands. Right. Yeah. Um, or at least, at least coming out of my head with no consideration for what the hands of the yeah. pianist would you be doing. You didn't like try it out or anything. Not at first. Um, mm-hmm. because my piano chops just didn't exist. They really like, I was, I had no, I, yeah. so, that's actually something I started to work on is I started to challenge myself to see if everything that I wrote for the piano, this was later after I was like a few pieces later, if everything I wrote, I could play yeah, or could at least understand how you would play it in a way that seemed intuitive to me. Yeah. who doesn't play the thing. Yeah. Um, and that helped actually, that helped a lot. Yeah. So for each of the instruments that you wrote down music for, did you play it? Um, not every instrument. I I I played tuba in band for a year because I did I did want to learn how to play a wind instrument and a brass instrument. And that helped a lot. And you just, wanted to play what? Uh, wind and brass instrument. Um, what is that? Uh, so so there's the brass family is the trumpets, yeah. trombones, kind of horns. They they would yeah. I don't know they're confused. You said wind and brass. And right. Uh, oh oh and uh, what's the last word you said? Wind and brass and I mean, there's also percussion, but I never got it. Oh, do you say wind and brass and shit? No, <laughs> maybe I did. I thought at first it was like this whole long German word, the wind and brass and shit. <laughs> Is this some uh, thing that I'm missing here? <laughs> probably said no. wind and brass and shit. No, I don't know. No, I probably did. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. What's the last word? Shit. <laughs> shit, Neil, it's shit. <laughs> so I played two women band for one year. Yeah. Um, I played cello and orchestra for one year. Uh, and 
I would I would dabble on the piano, but I never I figured there were yeah. plenty of those. So I'm gonna yeah. do one more. So you you wanted to jump into the TED talk. Yeah. <laughs> I brought you far enough away from it again that I oh yeah we need to right. give a little bit of an introduction to what are you talking about? By the way, because of your um, injured finger, you cannot play the violin now. But like I said, I would like to um, yeah insert some some of your recorded violin in there at some point and also follow it with uh, some of your that the pop music stuff that you're writing and recording these days yeah but uh, well that's that's for post-production ah. <laughs> <laughs> just like sitting here on a mat with a with a borrowed uh, free micro post-production anyway um so you sent me this just to give uh, some introduction to the people who may be listening <laughs> sometime in the future. Um, you sent me this TED talk by, I gather she's a professor, um, professor of social sciences at the University of Houston. At University of Houston, Never called heard. Brene Brown. And um, I listened to this um, TED talk and she was mostly talking about well, she first started talking about how she had done many interviews with people um, who could be broadly categorized into two, two parts. Um, people who um, struggle with uh, uh, shame and a certain lack of self-worth, uh, depressive people, and then other people who had a lot of self-worth, a lot of connection with other people. And then... Uh, so she wanted to find out the root causes um, for such tendencies. And there were several ones that she named towards the end of her talk. And one important one that stood out to me and both also in general in her talk was the was vulnerability, was the willingness, the willingness to be vulnerable. Uh, the synonymous with um, trying to shield oneself maximally from this. Uh, arises a lot of disconnection from other people and uh, she was saying like for example the less you talk about shame the more of it you have and towards the end she was saying that although this vulnerability puts you in certain situations where um, you're experiencing things that perhaps you would rather not synonymous with vulnerability arises joy and, and, and compassion and creativity and in fact there are cer certain things that we've been talking about that, um, like, in particular, you were talking about, you know, like, ah, I started playing pop music and didn't know anything about it. But uh, this, this vulnerability is a necessary part of the creativity. It's like two sides from the same coin. So, yeah, you wanted us to jump right into it. I just wanted to lay out some, uh, a little bit of background for. Yeah, yeah no, that's, that's yeah. like great introduction. Um, it's really interesting i encountered her work at the end of my my second year of college when i was at university of houston i mean coincidentally i don't think yeah. it wasn't like i didn't see her walking down the street i was like who are you um, yeah <laughs> you, you must have a lot to show me like, yeah just uh, looking at you um, yeah but i actually think like like i uh became a victim of the shame mindset um and that was actually what became so so difficult mm. about 
playing with violin because it became all about perfection. It became all about minimizing or mitigating. This is what time, what phase of your life was this? 20, 20 years old. Yeah, and right. you were at the conservatory or? Uh, at the university. At so, the university. Yeah, because I was, I was at conservatory for one year. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Um, and, and I think most of this um, was, a lot of this came, it was a holdover from my time at conservatory. Yeah. Um, just because the, the, um, the environment of highly competitive classical music doesn't center around creativity yeah it's just this prevailing culture of perfection right right well yeah. and, and and if you think about their objective it is to recreate other people's music mm -hmm. right so so even just in there the scope is more limited than if you were to create your own music yeah. that is not to say it is non-creative it's just significantly less creative than than those people who yeah. um decide to pin their own stuff and i mean i think what's what's really interesting is is once you no it's tangible I was just gonna say that, like you know, nothing's ever actually original because we're always constantly like. Yeah. I I always I always like. I used to get so annoyed when I was really young because I would show some people my stuff and be like, "Wow, you sound just like this composer who I'd never heard of." I'm like, "That's not fair." Like I. Yeah. I'm not I'm not ripping them off. I didn't know about it. So, so what I eventually I've I've decided that like, it's inevitable. No matter what, no matter what I write, mm -hmm. someone's gonna tell me it sounds like blah 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 blah. And so yeah. either I can already know that I'm doing it. Yeah, and just like by the way, there's a nice song called "In One Year" by Cage the Elephant. That's uh -huh. a band that I'm a big fan of, and it's it's a song which is a retaliation against all the criticism, like all this criticism, all these people, and uh, there's a line in there like "You sound like so and so." Fuck it. Yeah. So like it goes in one year and out the other. <laughs> so yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. Um, mm. Yeah, so so Brene Brown, um, mm. I would actually say like that that her um, her framework for thinking about ideas like vulnerability and, and shame was actually what helped me move away from violent performance mm. um, and helped me like. So that's when you watched this video. When you were um, I, I watched the video. Old. I read her book Daring Greatly. Yeah. Um, since then, I've read. Uh, her newer book rising strong she's got one coming out it's, oh, it's coming out soon it's coming out very soon she's got a new book coming out yeah. um and then i've listened to a few of her audiobooks as well i see um, so i'm i'm a fan i'm a huge mm -hmm. fan um i think i think her paradigm for approaching the world is like really laudable i find it really difficult most of the time mm. because it does it does entail this degree of vulnerability because because it's sort of like as she says so many good things are predicated on being able to yeah. actually like enter a space where you are vulnerable where things are uncertain where there's risk involved and 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 i, I think hearing that like that was a thing that can be navigated even as hard as it is to go through mm -hmm. was really empowering to me at that time because i was really struggling trying to understand what it was that i was doing with my life i i recently went and visited houston for the first time since then that was like three years ago mm -hmm. um, and i was walking through the campus and and i just got these flashbacks of of that mind space that i was in and it was really desperate i was i was really feeling so trapped by yeah. by the path that i had been set on and, and and because you know if you make it that far you're a lifer you know there, there are very very few people um that i've known about 
who made it as far in, in the the circuit of being becoming a classical musician who drop out yeah um, the way I did it's very very rare um, mm. most people are dedicated from an early age and 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 reflexively say they could imagine themselves doing nothing else yeah. uh, so so for me to make that decision kind of felt like you know just derailing the train um, but but having found this new language and lexicon and, and, and sort of interpretation of what it means to move into uncertainty and, and maybe still ways to navigate it with some sort of grace was, was really, really helpful. Um, what I don't think I quite appreciated about um, that um, ideology is that it doesn't protect you from the risk, the uncertainty. Bad things will still happen. Yeah. Um, and I, I definitely feel like I, I hit some unanticipated row bumps after that, that yeah. that kind of caught me off guard and, yeah. and and has made me appreciate a lot more those people who are able to embody that sort of um, courage to continually be curious instead of being afraid yeah. and, and to be motivated by by yeah some sense of letting the world in as opposed to keeping the world out yeah yeah I think it's kind of it's sort of interesting because I guess from the end of high school i feel like along that dimension i mean i'm, I'm hoping as i retrospectively look back along the dimension of becoming more open and more vulnerable in terms of things that i do or i want to do um, and to let the love of those things guide me as opposed to the fear of failure i feel like that's that's a direction in which i have self-willed myself to to just keep moving along that dimension respective of um, everything else. Um, and I mean, there's still ways to go. I mean, still every day I have all this self-doubt and fear about what am I doing? I'm like in my fifth year of my PhD, I'm spending all of this time outside of my lab and all of this other stuff, sitting down with Benam now doing this podcast <laughs> and like time is limited and uh, I'm supposed to be working on blah blah and I don't know I have no fucking idea what I'm going to do after my PhD but I, I, I'm slowly turning to turn that fear dial down and tell myself it's the, it's the, it's the fear that makes life uncomfortable not so much uh, the uncertainty it's the fear of the uncertainty I mean I mean, we, we live in a civilized world where I have a bunch of skill sets but I'm not going to go hungry <laughs> at, like, what is this therefore a fear of this is a mental fear of a mental state of of uncertainty um and it's it's a proxy for a fear of real lack but that's never gonna happen <laughs> you know so you are not afraid of the proxy that's not a, the, a right uh marker for real lack. that's you know I, I think i'm past that stage i'm not gonna starve i'm just gonna tell myself that oh living on a grad school let's say i do something and have to live on a grad school wage for the rest of my life. That's not really going to cause a problem. <laughs> but I'm going to tell myself this is a symptom that you fucked up. Mm. And so that's that mentality is going to cause the problem. Not the fact. Like, even now, at the age of 28, I'm earning something that my parents at my age did not. Uh, not because I went down this, uh, like this, solid track that okay i'm going to keep building my career it's just that things are the way they are or whatever but also because i i pursued what i like and so it can sustain me now you know whatever so 
So I've been trying to do that. And I think part of what um, um, has resulted in this podcast and the fact that we are hanging out and whatever is that I saw reflections of that in the things that you like. I'm like, okay, this guy's into like multiple things as well. Uh, and it's fine and it's cool. Like, you know, <laughs> he like dropped out of college for a while and he's doing all these things that are not all adding up to this conventional, traditional track, like this career path or whatever. Uh, so it's okay. It's cool. Like, you, know, <laughs> like, like you, can t- you can still turn out happy and confident and whatever. So I'm, like, I'm not like going down this fucking rabbit hole where... <laughs> or we're both going down the rabbit hole together. <laughs> we, don't know we don't know. But uh, yeah, I think there was something subliminal about that. Perhaps something that I all maybe already picked up in our first couple conversations at the retreat. Um, but at least it became clearer later on. Um, so I think, yeah, anyway, I mean, since we're on the topic of vulnerability and creativity, I think that's important. And every day now I still kind of think about this, like, what does it concretely mean to encourage in my own life, uh, the role of uh, love and adventure and passion, as opposed to the role of, um, fear. What does it mean? What does it mean in terms of concrete decisions that I'm going to make? Like, for example, I don't know what I'm going to do after my PhD. Should I worry about that and start looking for jobs? Or, you know, I want to do a backpacking trip across South America uh, with some savings after I'm done. So should I start looking at the paperwork for that? (laughs) (laughs) So what am I, I mean, it comes down to -to day-to-day decisions. And so I have to like psychoanalyze myself sometimes. (laughs) Is this motivated by fear? Is this motivated by something else? Is it actually true that if you never listen to the voice of fear, maybe you actually end up in bad places? <laughs> <laughs> so to some extent, where well, how do I calibrate this? Mm-hmm. It's just an interesting question. Well, that was super tough. I mean, yeah. <laughs> what you're saying about um, like whether or not I should be worrying about this or worrying about that. And, and, and yeah. I know these are things that I want to do. Um, I think I, I, so I had this, I had this moment um, in a shower in the Czech Republic when I was 15 years old, that mm-hmm. kind of like just spiraled out of control. I was just yeah. like scrubbing my hair. I was just like, uh, yeah. and, I, and I, I, I was like, I don't know what I want to do with my life. And I was, I was like, um, there was like a bunch of tumultuous, like stuff going on in my family. So like, I, I really felt like, you know, mm. all the different rugs were being pulled out from under me. I'm like, what? what can I do? You know, I'm like, I just got to do something. And so, so I just like, I just, I decided, I'm like, I don't know what I want to do for the rest of my life. Um, but I do know violin is something I'm good at. Um, and I know right now I'm half-assing it. Um, and I could take it way more seriously. Um, and I could actually like right now do something about that right now. I could get a little bit better right now. I could like actually practice. Um, and so, so that, that, that was, I think like the first seeds of a sense of pragmatism, that totally took me in the wrong direction. It, it, <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. it, uh, it hijacked, it hijacked yeah. my life because I didn't really question or understand why it was I was feeling this sense or need to regain some sort of control in the trajectory of my life. And I think it was a deeper, just sort of inability to navigate uncertainty, right? Yeah. Um, and so later, later on, and, and I think in my adult life, that's been probably the theme: is is what do I do when I don't know what's going on? whether that's within myself or in the world around me yeah. um, and, and do I do I try and fall back on on worlds that I can control mm. 
I mean, do I try and persist with that some way, or do I try and find some happy medium? Like, what happens when I overexpose, underexpose? Um, yeah. And and so like 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 going, getting to that point where I was I was consciously deciding, you know, maybe maybe there isn't just a conventional path that's going to do it for me, and I just have to like suck it up and make it work. Yeah. Um, but 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 actually, like there is something to be grown and nurtured and, and, and reaped from the weird eclectic mix of things I like to do um, and and if there is a time, place, life to give myself the license to explore that, this is the time place and this is the life that I've got yeah. to do that in, so, so it kind of um, and that was that was a big a big um, a part of reading Bernie Brown's work was, was just having the the capacity, the voice in my head that was strong enough to say that like it might actually, this might not work out mm-hmm. in a conventionally successful way. Like I might do all the things I love and yeah, live off of a grad school wage for the rest of my life. And that's actually more important to me than mm-hmm. looking like I did it all good yeah. to the people around me, um, which wasn't the case for most of my life growing up. I was, you know, like anyone else, very insecure about that. And, and perhaps even more insecure because I sometimes had the ability and, and, and opportunity to be successful mm. um, it becomes a shield uh, I, I was really competitive about everything in high school um, mm. that I knew I could be competitive in yeah. and have deliberately avoided those things that I knew I wasn't good at um, to give the illusion that I was good at everything which was absolutely not true mm. um, and that you know pigeonholed me that kind of stifled me that kept me from exploring things that I maybe would have wanted to yeah it was less so sometimes. Uh, after, after that year off and I decided to put violin on the back burner, I did throw myself into a bunch of things that I was uncomfortable with. I joined a soccer team. I um, was in the high school musical. I yeah. couldn't act to save my life, but <laughs> I could kind of sing in tune. Um, yeah. So that's where they took me. Um, and so, yeah, I was, I was, I found that that's actually like a, um, an actual part, I think, in my own process of, understanding myself mm. um, is putting myself in new contexts or taking on new things new roles uh, to me is to me is an affirmation of a fluidity and identity that I think is true and real yeah. and often obscured by the deep routineness of our lives and of our um, discourses about each other mm-hmm. in other words like the languages that we use to talk about yeah. people I mean we are social creatures we can't, we can't help but live in this ecosystem of um, this narrative which is mainly mediated through the eyes of other people mm-hmm. about us right right so well and and, and, and it like it's it's like, yeah it's so much more cognitively easy emotionally easy mm-hmm. um, just generally easier to understand if you if you have a preconception of what the person is doing right like if someone tells me like they're in business school I stop thinking yeah. <laughs> not because I hate business but because now I think I understand what they're doing with their life yeah. which yeah. Which is, of course, like I think, usually pretty wrong. Yeah. I think I think an actual assessment of, of, of who someone is yeah. goes way far beyond yeah. knowing knowing yeah. what the field of study is, and so that yeah. that that always was something that bothered me. Yeah. And so so kind of because I didn't feel like that was true for myself, I didn't feel like that was true for the people that I knew really well. So I didn't really think it was true for anyone. Sometimes, sometimes it's right. 
sometimes <laughs> the assessment that you make is right but the, the convenience of making the right prediction some of the times that you get from labeling like that is far outweighed by all of the lost opportunities and discoveries and conversations because you labeled and then you didn't bother asking the question that you would have or yeah because i feel like um less than half the time i'm right when i'm like i i, I just don't bother continuing a conversation when i hear oh business school or something like that this has <laughs> happened to me like when i hear business school <laughs> this has happened to me um and i feel like that's um yeah i mean i could go into that but in general there's something else that i wanted to point out i feel like one reason i like hanging out with you is that you're dialed for this uh this this lack of fear or or let's say the dial for fluidity is actually set higher than mine in the so? sense that <laughs> i have greater insecurities about okay so let's see if i got into and we'll come to your education uh that you're pursuing now if i got into the program that you got into i would be like oh this is great and i would not miss a single semester <laughs> but then you're you're skipping this semester in seoul korea and you're just here doing this stuff and in my head it's like oh that's like complete creative freedom just like taking the whole reins in your this is what i feel like doing now i'm going to fucking do it <laughs> okay and i feel like i would be driven a lot more by the fear of missing out mm-hmm. on that semester and so in that sense i feel like i'm still more comfortable letting a certain procedure of instructions take hold of what's supposed to happen with my life and feel more secure in that then actually saying you know what fuck it like i'm okay just deciding now for myself that i'm going to do this that's really cool yeah. well, and i i guess i i have like pretty like it's almost like regular periodic yeah. interventions like this yeah um, there's and i think it stems honestly from i did not have to undergo the same degree of like self regulation that most children do mm. um my my mother was very free with with how I structured my time so long as I got the stuff done that I was supposed to get done yeah. and and oftentimes on my terms there's there's a really great there's this is like one of my favorite things yeah. I, there's a Actually, lot of it's funny I was about to bring in parenting okay yeah because yeah. as far as my parents are concerned I think they're I mean they're okay but they're still pretty uh they're like oh what are you doing with your and what is this and what is the other thing like any time that I pursued other hobbies they would be very concerned about that time not being spent towards uh, like academia or something like that. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I would I would say, well yeah, so as a child I was I was mm. obstinate. Just like like you I would not relent. I would just you it would be my way or the highway no matter what it was. It was really bad. Um <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel bad for all the people I grew up with. Um but uh, like anyway, there was a lot of dyslexia in my family. Um, mm. this is the preface to the story. Um my my grandmother had it. My So I kind of thought I did. I I wrote most of my letters like in, in like either inverted or upside down when I started to write. What do you mean? Like the letters were inverted or upside down? Yeah, like like the, you'd be going backwards because to me that was the same thing. You were just looking at it from the left. Yeah. Um, so like that sort of like. So the whole thing would be uh, inverted or just individual letters? Individual letters. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I also when I first started to speak, um, would have whole sentences where the structure was obscured. It contained all the words. It just 
not in the right order. Yeah, but you were you were you being deliberate? Um, no, no. To to me, it was the same. They were oh, they were you. It was it was the huh. combination of words that was what was saying the thing, huh. um, and the, the specific order was inconsequential because you can move them around. Easily, yeah. Right. Anyway, um, but there was this this book on on logic that my mom. Uh, this workbook that she had me going through where it would give you blah, 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 blah. And then you have to fill in the blank where it like, you know, was supposed to fall. And I, I just thought that was the dumbest thing. So I just drew lines to everything. And there's just this like massive, cause it was like 15 different definitions. Yeah. It was impossible to decipher. But I was like, yeah, you just follow this line. It goes there. Yeah. It goes there. And I don't have to write anything. Boop, 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 yeah. boop, boop. And that's how I would do those workbooks. Uh, cause it was like, this makes more sense. Even though it didn't really, but yeah. it made more sense from, the perspective of someone doing it but it made mm. it more difficult for the person who had to grade it <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, which to me was not my problem <laughs> yeah um sure but uh yeah so growing up i was like pretty strong-willed um and I, I didn't have a sense of constraint so so i think i was lucky in being able to experience what if like a, a deep sense of contentment in my own rhythms mm. and a familiarity with them mm. um to me i would go through really creative spurts followed by spurts of inactivity mm. um and and this cycle it was just fine. It was just like, it was just like a, mm. you know, high tide, low tide. Sometimes yeah. I'm going to write a lot of music. Sometimes I'm not, you know, and that was, that was fine yeah. to me. That, that wasn't indicative of my capacity. I like knew I, if I needed to write, I could, mm. but why would I do it when I wasn't in the mood? Yeah. Um, and, and so, or, or why would I stop myself? If I like, I remember, man, one day there was, um, this is, I think I was 16. This is such a bummer. I just like I woke up one morning and I like I had it I had this idea for an entire violin concerto and it was like <laughs> I was like okay I'm not eating today like this is it was it was like a weekend it was a weekend yeah, uh, yeah. like uh, might have been summer um, and yeah I just spent twelve hours straight writing this thing because it just like it just like latched into my head and I just yeah. I lost it it was like it, it was it was like a legitimate orchestrated yeah um, I I came back to it the next two days but it was it was basically done it was one of the things that got lost. Um, lost all my stuff but like mm. so I, I would have things like that that as a child i had the luxury of finding out what happens when you just like you take off the training wheels and go downhill yeah and, and, and experience forgetting everything else that's going on um and just following that creative process yeah. until until it exhausts you mm. um and, and so that that to me was a good time yeah. it's like yeah. it's like a state of flow yeah I, yeah absolutely absolutely yeah. Um, that's so that's that's that goes back to the creative creativity thing I think you can only learn by creating mm -hmm. um, the trick is I think there's there's this there's this sweet spot in creating um, that is is it's familiar enough that you can become in a flow state but it's challenging and new enough that you're not learning how to do the same thing over and over again and getting stuck yeah, in yeah. a certain type I think of those are actually the two conditions for Oh yeah, there's like the challenge. State. Like, yeah, it has to. It has to be slightly challenging enough. Well, and I well, I would say, I would say, so like, like, I think flow state. Yeah. What I'm thinking of is like the the, the idea of deliberate practice, which is which is where you you put concerted effort towards like honing a skill, and that I think I think deliberate practice is like flow with a little bit of extra sweat because mm -hmm. it's not comfortable enough that you can actually keep doing it. Flow yeah. to me is almost like self regenerative, mm -hmm. whereas deliberate practice is exhausting to me. And that's that's something that I didn't really learn how to do until I was like at conservatory was was yeah. really deep, deliberate, focused work. It's on, boring. Um, that's why it's, it's boring. It's yeah, fun. yeah. A flow no. state is anything but boring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah. no, deliberate practice is, is boring and fatiguing. And so I think 
because it's it's you're you're taking the flow and you're slowing it down. You're grinding yeah. it to a halt. Yeah. And and so so yeah so so I have this I have this idea that I think there's probably somewhere in the middle where you can where you can be deliberately practicing your flow state basically. Mm. Um, so that you're you're kind of you're 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 a little bit edgy about the flow. You or yeah. you you've got it directed in a way that you're instead of doing the thing that you did last time you're trying something else yeah, yeah. Um, and that's that's why this yeah. year this this summer has been so much fun making music for me because like i'll finish a song and i'm like great fuck i'm never doing that again like because yeah. <laughs> it's like you know it's like 80 yeah. percent's all right there's like this 20 percent that just didn't sound good and i'm like i don't have to worry about this yeah yeah it's it's done yeah. it's out of me and, and i will leave you and worry yeah. like kind of like we were talking about with uh like what am i going to worry about today i'm like i already wrote it yeah, yeah, yeah. all right so last night after I biked home when I was biking home from downtown mm-hmm. I had to go through campus and I mean there were all these projects that but one of my projects was I'm going to learn how to go down a flight of stairs on a bike okay <laughs> so, so um, when I was about to cut through campus there was this area where there was like one area had just uh, two steps and then next to it was three steps. I'm like, okay, this is perfect because it was like an elevation. Uh, so there was an inclination. So some, in some parts, the height difference was more. So if you just kept walking along it, the number of steps would reduce. I'm like, okay, I can just start from this end where it's just got two steps and then I can keep going up. And so I just did that. I would like bike down the steps and go up to the area where you could just like bike up to the upper area and then bike down the steps again. And in the beginning, I realized there was a lot of fear when as I approached the edge and I saw the steps, I'm like, I've never done this before. This could end badly. But then I would stop and I would go back and I would reach the edge again. I would stop again. I'm like, fuck, I can't do this. And, and I did it a couple of times. And then like I looked, instead of looking at the steps, I looked at um, like, the curb at the uh, like after the steps i'm like if i just look at that that looks entirely doable i'm just concerning myself too much with the steps you like i know that i'm not gonna fall and break my neck so i i went down it and the first couple of times it was this i was doing something where i didn't i wasn't in, in complete control but i had the necessary skills so the moment the first wheel goes off the top of the steps you're not thinking there is no deliberate just your body does this thing that your the muscles have been trained to do and i was fine but as i went down that and then i started practicing after the second or third time it became this monotonous thing of like but i have to practice i have to practice before i go one more step higher and then it became this deliberate thing where i knew i would be fine but there were still techniques little bits like okay can i how much can i slow this down to how much more control can i get and then when I was done and I went up to a different flight of steps where it was steeper and more, I'm like, okay, here it comes again. <laughs> like, as I went up the top, I was like, okay, whoa, 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 okay. And so, but that, those are the times that are also most arresting. They're captivating. They're immersive. You're not thinking anymore. There's no scope of thinking. Um, and some other people have talked about it, that in these uh, times, which are also times when you're very creative, I mean, the same thing can happen, is that the sense of the I, the sense of the self actually recedes. Mm-hmm. There is, I think in my interpretation, there isn't enough 
beyond uh, supplying all of all of the necessary computations that need to happen for doing the thing that you're doing that's challenging, there is no extra CPU power left to sustain the voice in your head. That's this this uh, this discursive voice that's always maintaining this inner monologue of the I. Mm-hmm. And once that recedes, all that remains is this pure experience. And this is what everyone's seeking at the end of the day. This is why people go like free climbing, risking their lives because there's no space for the voice in your head um, anymore. Um, but anyway, I mean, that's, that's another long, long yeah, story. Yeah. But yeah. So this book that I keep referring to is Waking Up by Sam Harris. He talked in, um, in one chapter was about the illusion of the self and he talked about this flow state. And he said, uh, when I say that the self is illusion, it's not something spooky or whatever. Everyone has felt um, the lack of the self. You just need to put yourself in a certain condition. But when you recollect, when you're done with that experience, like when you get off that roller coaster at the amusement park, the self, the voice pipes up again and says, that was my experience. I just had that experience. Buddy, you weren't there. (laughs) No one was there. You can remember that now, but you you weren't having that experience. There was no self that was having that experience. And well, that's just interesting because I think uh, some spiritual teachers, especially the ones who speak in English in the West have uh, talked about this being a wellspring of creativity state of flow and vulnerability as well it all kind of comes together in some way I'm pretty sure one yeah. that's like I think yeah the idea of I think relinquishing your gra- like like the the the, um, the chokehold self has yeah. I think is maintained by a lack of vulnerability it's maintained by this this I mean because shame is completely ego driven right oh yeah it's it's, totally. it's predicated on you being there to exist to experience yeah. all this like you know yeah unworthiness yeah um, so I think I think vulnerability is almost like well, I think vulnerability gets you in the door. I, I don't know that it, because um, you, you, you're you definitely not going to be able to be egoless in, in flow state if you've got shame tapes going on, right? Yeah. Like if, if yeah. self, too much self-awareness right. or self-consciousness. Yeah. yeah, that kind of self-consciousness is, yeah. is absolutely prohibitive to, to this idea of egoless flow. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think, yeah, vulnerability is the antidote to say there is this uncertainty, not just about surrounding like what people think of me but even about me and, and like yeah. which I find really interesting when it comes to art maybe mm-hmm. maybe not so much like okay. um, <laughs> cause, right because it's like yeah. art, art to me is, is, is mm-hmm. just this weird sort of um, it's 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 hard for me to understand how it can't be motivated in some sense by by the same primal drivers that that make us think of ourselves as entities, as as eyes, as selves, um, because you the, mean art. You're saying that art would have to be primordially driven by a sense of identity. I feel. I feel like it is. I, I'm mm. not sure. I, I. Well, no, actually, I don't think that's true. I think a lot of art is. I think. I think it's very easy for it to get co-opted because it's mm. so often um, enters that vulnerable space that that is so subject to criticism that that funnels back towards your ego yeah. right because it's this art is about you this art is a manifestation of you yeah. and yet i think also most people are drawn to art for those times when they were in a flow state yeah and when absolutely. they weren't there and and, yeah. and that's what made the art yeah. feel so good is, is yeah 
is that it wasn't about them. Yeah. Um, True. Yeah. I have a thing or two that I want to say about that. Yeah. But before that, I think I want to point out something interesting. Uh, the, the more I, um, the more I think about this ego and, and its various mechanisms, I've been trying to do it for the past several years. Uh, it's, let's say the past two years, the more I notice that it's, it's such an interesting thing that all its properties are self-fulfilling prophecies. Um, and if you stop buying it, the reasons for buying those will also go away. Like let's say shame for an example. If you can induce a certain state in which your ethics are still solid, but you're shameless, like you're not shame, you're not feeling embarrassed, you would know immediately in that state that there is no need to be either. Uh, it is either the actions or thoughts or your body language that when, when you are ashamed or embarrassed, you communicate to other people in an ecosystem of social individuals that uh, other people pick up on it and respond in a certain way that the shame is immediately reinforced. Like you immediately feel like, okay, I shouldn't have done or whatever. But when this sense of embarrassment is lacking, I played this little clip by Sam Harris where he says, oh, I took MDMA when I was 17 and there was not a shred of uh, shame or embarrassment or whatever. And the thing is, I've been in that state um, and not only is the shame gone, it doesn't feel like you're left exposed. You don't really feel vulnerable. You don't really fear that because you know that it's okay. It was a shame that was the problem, not whatever I thought it was guarding me against because that's fine. I can just go ahead and do whatever and it's going to be fine. I mean, people can look at me and see that I'm just naive and whatever, but they are not going to do the thing that I thought that they are not going to judge me because it's just interesting. Like, for example, if you, um, if you go into any place where there's a lot of people, let's say a, um, a concert or something, and no one's like people are embarrassed to dance because they're so visible. If there are little kids in there, they'll just go ahead and do whatever. But people don't judge little kids for dancing in a visible. It's because little kids don't give a shit. <laughs> so somehow people feeling shame is our prerequisite for our feeling judgment towards them. That because if it doesn't even matter, we like we we let people be if they're not receptive to. Well, obviously, I'm not talking about people who are going around stark naked. <laughs> that's why I said the, the, the ethics has still to be ground, still needs to be grounded. They need to be doing something that's not getting in our way. But if they're just enjoying themselves in a way that, you know, in a non-self-conscious way, we also don't give them vibes that would make them self-conscious. It's just this weird system of ways in which... I would maybe, I don't know. I, yeah, I, I would disagree. I would just disagree with that, yeah. that, that I can speak for myself that there have been times where, where mm. I have been so um, wrapped up in my own mm. insecurities and discomforts that when I see other people exhibit it, I feel shame like for them. Uh, like I'm like, Ugh, yeah. Ugh. Or, or, yeah. or I can, I, I even feel envy. Yeah. So I'm like, I, I don't like that person because I wish I could be that way. Yeah. And I, and for yeah. some reason feel inhibited. Yeah, true. But they don't give a shit. Well, yeah, no, they, they'll <laughs> be fine. Just, I mean, yeah. I think, I think if you, if you surround people like someone, someone who has that, yeah. I don't think he's infinitely resilient. Yeah. I think, I think, I think, I think, 
like anything else, it's 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 mixed in with all those other emotions, and 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 yeah, I think we can all achieve that state, but also mm. around enough negative energy, yeah. even the most non-shame prone person mm. will will find themselves beginning to mirror what's around them. Yeah, um, which is at least that like, I think I think. I'm pretty comfortable with that assertion, if only because I feel like I've experienced some really drastic shifts in my own mm. uh, relationship to shame in mm. in my adult life. That really the only bit like delineating factors were like who I was spending my time with and and what types of narratives I was I was allowing yeah um, to to become prevalent and and then thus practicing and then allowing to manifest in my lens of how I viewed other people, which is just another way of practicing and keeping active mm. this idea that like certain things are good certain things are bad this is shameful this is not yeah um i do think there is like a, a, a type of charisma around people who are able to who have who've acquired the skill of like letting that go of, yeah. of taking that off their shoulders yeah um i think in a population of people um it's not it's not infinitely re- renewable i think i think they're they're there's in, in my mind I'm thinking of some sort of like um, balancing right like where like maybe two in a hundred isn't enough but like mm-hmm. thirteen in a hundred might have a different effect where there's like you know some sort of nonlinearity yeah yeah something else that you mentioned uh, that I wanted to get into is uh, a lot of art being created in this state of flow mm-hmm. and I remember um, I always liked drawing sketches but um, they've mostly been well especially in the recent past the ones that I've done are reproductions of other photographs or Mm -hmm. or paintings and I think part of the reason is I used to sketch when I was young I used to do paintings and stuff and then I had I was okay with that sense of vulnerability that comes with I'm just going to make whatever but then as I stopped doing that and went like further and further into maybe academia where it's this world of controlled and you know um, I kind of lost that willingness to be vulnerable and creative and so my way back to starting to sketch again was to at least start with photographic reproductions of, uh, of something where I know okay this is the roadmap there's one way to do it right let's just practice start with the technique and whatever uh, and whatever we'll, we'll, we'll worry about the creativity later <laughs> and so I made several sketches this was maybe a year back uh, and they were all like I would look at them like oh that's really good but the goodness was measured by how similar it was to whatever whatever I was trying to copy um, so one day I took LSD for the first time and then I uh, sketched again and I remember so my girlfriend was just lying on the bed and I was trying to sketch her and the bed and the whole room. And somehow with every stroke, I felt like not only was all my inhibition and insecurity gone, there was no choice about it. I wasn't choosing that it be gone. Like every stroke was this flowing stroke that had no, like the dial was turned all the way to the other end of the spectrum. Like there was not a shred of uh, insecurity. So there was 
none of this methodical clinical uh, care. It was just like everything is fucking a lot. And like, it was like this, just this broad strokes and uh, this whole flowing thing. And I wouldn't necessarily say that what turned out was necessarily better than what, but it was this, I mean, it was, it was a whole other end of the spectrum. Like everything was, it was like, I'm just going to do this and then I'm going to do that and let's see what turns out. It's just interesting that a molecule can be responsible for flipping that switch in your head and changing something about a certain aspect of human personality that we hold so dear to the to humanity. Creativity. It's one fucking molecule that can do that. <laughs> yeah. So so this is this is what I think I had in my mind yeah. when I was talking about creativity versus craft. Yeah. Is 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 because because of moments like that yeah. that that your experience of what you're doing yeah you know is so qualitatively different from what you've experienced before yeah and and that's creativity right like that's that that's this 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 creation of something new this experience of something you haven't experienced before Mm -hmm. and to me what craft is it's is it's being it's like having the technique having the the skills to take that experience and just full-blown manifest it in in whatever whatever art form that is or whatever whatever method you're using yeah um and to not yeah so like, like to have have at your disposal like the, the full panoply of, of tools that you would want yeah. um and and that's i mean that was always like the the frustrating thing about playing the violin is like i never felt like i would i had the technical chops to play what was in my head mm. um and and the more i got into it the it felt like the more that close mm. um the more that gap widened yeah because i began to understand music so much better and i was listening to all the time and I was being exposed to more and more performers and understood much better how much nuance there was mm. um, and then thus how far away from being able to wield that kind of nuance I was yeah um, and I mean it, it then kind of the the, um, the flip side of that is like that probably means that most of that nuance doesn't exist for most people mm. um, especially like the vast like majority of the population who aren't even violinists um which is why now and, and so then thus the pursuit of of those nuances began to seem more and more futile and, and ridiculous to me mm-hmm. um which is why now I, I really love playing what i write for non-musicians because because i i feel confident ish in my ability to navigate like the, the the sonic world is like you know music snobs think of it right like i, I have i have tools i have some experience with that and i know i know pretty well where and and when my production like i know isn't hitting a benchmark that at least i can hear and Mm. you know 90 percent of the time it's not hitting the benchmark even i can hear and so it's just me trying to figure out how to use those tools better but the other stuff is what's way more interesting to me Mm. is like it's like someone who isn't a professional musician but has clearly listened to music their whole lives has a relationship to music likes some music doesn't like some music what is what are their tools what is what is it about that art that is speaking to them and 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 why haven't i been learning about that why haven't i been learning about um the 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 connections that people make to pieces of music and what is it about that music that connects Mm -hmm. if it's not the voice leading in the harmonies or the bowing and fingering that they used yeah in the middle of the piece yeah yeah Hmm. And so, and that's that's been like a very 
again like sort of like self-discovery self-guided exploration yeah um, and i you know i have some like burgeoning theories um yeah that I've been <coughs> so for example when i listen to your music and give you feedback it's going to be in like those organic vague terms like i wouldn't be able to give you technical details i'm like oh, something's kind of like missing like maybe a couple more instruments in there like some backbone like you're like what the fuck is that <laughs> like, what the fuck is he on about <laughs> yeah but yeah i understand like understanding it comes with that organic subjective thing mm-hmm. instead of a technical description it's, it's challenging but useful yeah well and 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 letting go of the idea that there is there is one way of organizing understanding and explaining music that is objectively superior because i don't think that's yeah. true um because i've met so many people who have a clear musical disposition but no formal training yeah. and i just as much want to know how they listen to music yeah. as i do someone who's you know sheet music their whole lives mm-hmm. because ultimately that's that that to me is i think another thing that classical music is just way far off of is is this idea of music being a way to connect especially live music as mm-hmm. a performer mm-hmm. um it, it's it has the capacity it's an opportunity if you wish to take it to be vulnerable and expose yourself especially if you're playing your own music if you are if you're fully committing yourself to the music of whoever it is that you are playing that's an act of exposure. That's an act of, of, of commitment mm. into that moment, I think. And I think basically that's not what I was doing with music for a long time and, and trying to bring music back into my life as something that actually helps me connect from people and connect with people as opposed to like put myself away from people because mm-hmm. um, a lot of a lot of what music was as an identifier to me growing up was like oh the, the mom's the music guy yeah. just like you know the weird like does music all the time and you're not going to be able to like that was it was disconnecting it was yeah. it would it would make people feel less like me to play yeah. music and, and I, I felt that was totally erroneous in my mind and I was like this is actually this could be a huge opportunity if, if only I made the effort to move in your direction a little bit and understand where in this sonic world we meet was there wasn't there ever a time even um when you were young when you cherished the fact that oh i'm kind of musically gifted i'll cherish the fact that you're up in your high castle and um like you that you are different from other people that, oh yeah. That, yeah yeah i mean i i like as a kid that's great news right yeah yeah like that that'll but it's like that's like that's your ego that's like a really mm. it's a really shallow plan it's a really s- small thing mm. um and it, well it depends on who you are but true true <laughs> well and, and i guess i guess what i realize is is like i i do want to be th- this goes back exactly to what Brene brown was talking about like mm. i want that sense of worth i want to believe that i am worthy of love and belonging mm. and to me music was this lever that I could pull and I would get some facsimile of that. Huh. You know, people be like, wow, you sounded great. I'm like, so that means you love me, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So that's sort of what it was. And, and, and it actually like, in some ways poisoned both because then, then it became the condition mm-hmm. um, that needed to be met before I felt like I was able um, yeah. to receive those things. And so then that actually became very toxic because 
it, it's no longer fun. There's there's this shame around the stakes. There is this mm. um, the my experience of the music becomes intertwined with someone's reception of it, which is not something I can actually control. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks for joining us today in the Room of Lives. In the next episode, Benam explains why he has never felt comfortable with the labels and groups in which humans identify themselves and each other. Even through a window you look beautiful and view me full of love So through my fingers so promises keep me breathing love Keep breathing love, keep breathing love, keep breathing love, keep breathing love, keep breathing love Check the boxes, shackle for your thoughts and shackle for my ankles Thought they turn out nice, thought we break free so easy Keep me breathing, love, keep breathing, love, keep breathing, love, keep breathing, love Through a Fitbit for assault and through it all my fixer hopper Kept me up when I was down, reminded me not to drown Keep me breathing, love, keep breathing, love, keep breathing, love, keep breathing, love Slipping into futures, sipping rendezvous, slamming poetry For me, I say Keep breathing, love, 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 keep bre